Welcome to the Capital City Crew Podcast. Join your hosts Jeff, Owen, Josh, and Herman as they dive deep into the game of Malifo. Explore sophisticated strategies and creative combinations, but always remember in Malifo, bad things happen. All right. Hello, folks, and welcome back to another exciting episode of the Capital City Crew Podcast. I'm Owen here in studio with Jeff and Josh, and we have a special guest with us today, Curtis, our local Bayou player, uh, former War Machine player, frequent Malifaux player, and most importantly, our resident uh purveyor of all things from the bayou. So, Curtis, welcome to the podcast. Uh, you want to introduce yourself? Uh, yeah, sure thing. Uh, I'm Curtis. Uh, I've been playing since about the end of Mark Three or Mark II, um, edition, uh, second edition. So I uh, got started right at the beginning of uh, uh, third edition beta testing. Uh, Herman got me introduced to the game. I started with uh, Ophelia. I still have the old little metal set, uh, so that's near and dear to me. Uh, I have all the little kin metal pieces, and I uh, fell in love with Gremlins because they remind me of everything I love about uh, the facts about gaming in general, which is nonsense and shenanigans. So um, just been a lot of fun and really enjoyed this game and it's been a real nice community as well. So really excited to be a part of this. Well, fantastic. We're really happy to have you here on the pod. Um, some other news to share with, with folks, with our listeners, um, in case you haven't heard, um, the Nova open, the Washington DC area gaming convention uh, that I've been affiliated with and, uh, and other folks have been, you know, attendees of in the past is back on for 2022. And I am excited to say that I am the new president of the Nova open. Yay. So, We're uh, all so, so sorry. So, <clears throat> so a couple things. One, uh, if you're in the DC area uh, or elsewhere and you want to volunteer or help out or, uh, let us know. Reach out to customer service at novaopen.com. Uh, and I also want to put in a plug for Jeff, who has agreed to take on the role of Malifaux event lead. So super excited for that. And look for things in the future as we you know, give you more info about all the exciting Malifaux coming to Nova next year. Why'd you pick uh, that loser? I don't know. You know, just he was on the street. He seemed like to be good at it. Um, but that's not why you're here. You're here to learn about everyone's favorite, the Brewmaster. But before we get into the details of that, Josh has assured us that there is uh, something he calls, quote unquote, the dumbest way to flip a turf marker that he is really excited to tell us about. So I will wait before we get into that. Did you just introduce Brewmaster by opening a beer? I did. I that, did. That's the worst intro ever. <laughs> okay, Josh. I, I, take believe, a I believe you misspelled best intro ever. Yeah, exactly. Let, let's transition from the worst intro ever to the worst idea ever. Go ahead, Josh. Oh, yes. So a while back uh, on the podcast, we did an episode on Annual Like Heron. And one of the models in that crew that I'm a huge fan of are the operatives. Uh, operatives bring to the table the infiltrator ability, which it is just a very, very strange power 
uh, and how it interacts with uh, enemy effects that typically only target friendlies. Um, so there wasn't a lot of truly abusive stuff you can do with it. But in the new book, in Malifaux Burning, they uh, introduced a new model with the infiltrated ability, Klaus Norwood, the uh, versatile model in the Neverborn faction. And with the introduction into the Neverborn faction, you can now open up some truly, truly strange things you're capable of doing with the infiltrator ability. And and this most dumb way of flipping a turf marker, or actually scoring uh, deathbeds, um, is brought to you by the title version of Cry, with her new summoning mechanic revolving around uh, having models in her crew move through enemy models and the enemy models then have to take a willpower test or they summon a model uh, a rami minion into base contact with the model that failed the willpower test so klaus can trigger that ability because he can count as a friendly model to that crew (laughs) so if klaus moves through say an incorporeal model in his crew that model has to test or summon an Arami minion into base contact with itself. Now, that ability still belongs to Karai, so it's Karai's model that you're summoning into base contact with that. Uh, Which is cool if you want to give your opponent uh, a free model, but you would take this one step further. Because he can do that as part of a charge. And after that charge, you trigger the ability... uh, when you finish the movement of the charge, you still get your attack after that. Uh, and then you get into a second level of cascading weirdness that you get off of Klaus, uh, where his melee attack has a trigger called Pocketful of Personalities, which lets you dupe a trigger on the model you just attacked. One of the minions that you can summon off Cry's abilities is uh, Gaki, that have the coordinated attack build, uh, trigger. So... Klaus can charge through that uh, one of the models in his crew, summon a Gawky off of that model, attack that Gawky with your triggered att- with your charge action attack, get the coordinated strike trigger, and have something with like a max five damage severe kill that Gawky that activation, and that's you killing a friend a, a enemy model which will flip a turf war marker or. If you have deathbeds in it, you can set it up so that you could do this and just immediately score deathbeds. I don't know if it'll ever come up, but it is, if anything, highlighting how wacky the infiltrator ability actually is. Uh, that that yeah. sounds quite the Gold, Rube Goldberg machine. That right? is a spectacular Rube Goldberg machine. But right. really, it's just in, big infiltrator. It's, uh, it's cool power. Super cool power. So let me see if I can say that back. Uh, because listeners or anything like me, that was a lot. So infiltrator, the ability makes the model with infiltrator, uh, not count as an enemy for your enemies, abilities, actions, triggers. So you're saying this is a way for you to treat your own model as wait, do you lets you trigger the friendly only abilities of the enemy crew. This lets Klaus count as a friendly Arami model so that he to triggers trigger, to trigger the summon and then 
because you are controlling the summon, it's your Gwisin that gets summoned. Oh no, it's it's still Karai's minion that gets summoned because that's how summon effects work. I'm, okay. I'm gonna throw throw this out just because <laughs> this is really dumb. Um, at any point in time, Klaus could say, "I'm not going to summon things because I'm choosing not to act as uh, friendly to you," or. Uh, Karai can say, "Well, I'm not going to allow you to use my ability to summon a Gaki." Like, there's no, so many no. things so wrong with this. <laughs> Klaus can choose that. Karai can't. There's no decision on the part of the Karai player to do that. In fact, join us is a must power. If you move, they must make that test. You don't have the option of not allowing them to make that test if they trigger that ability. Okay, but then they can. Uh, you know, the Gaki, say you did a Gaki, it comes out. Now you're counting on another model to be near you so the coordinated attraction, like, this is never going to happen. Oh, no, it's spectacular. It, it'll, it'll almost certainly never work. But if it does, you just score deathbeds right there. What? And if it does, you just you just score, like, that's got to be an achievement, right? Like, you know. <laughs> you you it, just score a point off that. I mean, anything that lets you, through almost minimal interaction with the opponent, score a point. It's pretty cool. Niche as hell, and you should never take Cry 2 into Neverborn if Deathbeds is on the table, but just a, just to avoid the possibility of accidentally dunking on yourself. Maybe that's a little hyperbolic, but avoiding the possibility of accidentally dunking on yourself. But well, man. There you go. So that is never take Cry 2 into Neverborn when Deathbeds is on the line. We'll join, you know. Never play for death when it, with the Sicilian. I'm, I'm uh, gonna put, rank this up there with the uh, to make a Princess Bride reference. Maybe, maybe. This, this this ranks up there with uh, I'm gonna use Benny and surround them with nine rats and then use swarm them to do nine damage. Wah-ha-ha, I'm such a genius. It's never gonna happen. But that one time it does, you're vindicated. All right. Anyways, we're gonna we're gonna throw into a quick break, uh, and when we come back. Uh, hopefully our heads have stopped spinning and we can get them spinning in a different way with lots and lots of Brewmaster. So stick with us. We'll be right back. All hail Jeff, the master editor. All hail Jeff, the master editor. All hail Jeff, the master editor. This entire episode is just going to be a hour and a half loop of Owen saying that. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Welcome back, folks. We are here to talk about the master of the Tri-Chi, the Brewmaster. Uh, And we're really excited because now that the new book has been released, we can talk about the new title. And so we can do a deep dive, our first Bayou deep dive. Uh, doing a compare and contrast between the two Brewmaster titles. So with that intro out of the way, uh, take it away, Curtis. What, like, I guess from the top, like what is, give us your your elevator pitch for Brewmaster. Why is he awesome? Uh, one or two or both? Both. Tri-Chi. Why is, what, what is awesome about Tri-Chi? I think it's a dark horse keyword. I don't think a lot of people know enough about it and the models within it to really understand what it's capable of doing. Um, I think Brewmaster 1 is pretty straightforward. Once you play him a few times, you kind of figure out exactly what he wants to do. But Brewmaster 2 is the complete opposite. I think he has a lot of nuance. Uh, I think that the sheer volume of micro movements you make every time 
somebody in his crew activates or every time you push something with a tipsy slide is going to make decision making in a game incredibly intense. Uh, I think that where you place your enemies models and where you place your models can be the difference between winning and losing a game. Um, and I think that's going to make him very interesting. Um, I also think that Trichi is one of those few keywords that you play with basically every model in the keyword. Uh, there's not that many models in the keyword that are just poop. All of them have some form of value or tech that you could justifiably bring them in. Um, and I think that there's a lot of people that are just like, oh, it's Brewmaster, he's going to bring a whiskey golem. And that really, really kind of undersells how good the henchmen are and, and how good some of the minions are in the keyword. Cool. Well, I'm excited to learn more, um, but I do have one question. I know in second edition, Brewmaster had had a bit of a reputation for being just a pain to play against. It was like, oh, you get in the brew aura and then you can't do anything. Uh, it, was, it was very sort of like denial type master. Is, is third edition Brewmaster still in that sort of play style zone or is it is it different? He's basically the same. I didn't play him in second edition, but every game I played with Brewmaster one, he gets to some spot on the middle-ish section of the table, um, and then he makes whatever's within eight inches of him slow. And then he has the twelve cups upgrade, so he denies bonus actions within four. Uh, so you're basically reducing any enemy model with poison three within eight inches of within four inches of him to one AP. Um, and once you engage him at two inches, they basically can't do anything. Uh, so he can be very, very miserable. He can basically make you feel like your models aren't doing anything. Brewmaster 2, though, he does have control with his 2-inch engagement, but he doesn't really do a lot to put a bunch of distracted or give slow to enemy models. A lot of what he does is moving around, moving enemy models around, controlling them uh, by putting them in different spots on the table. Um, and he can just outright kill a lot of things as well. All right, so Brewmaster 1, Curtis, uh, let's go. So I think one of the major strengths of this Brewmaster is he's pretty straightforward to play. I think a new player could probably pick him up and get a really good idea of what he does um, because what he does is very basic. Uh, he goes to a spot on the board. A lot of times he likes to play in turf war or ley lines, any, any kind of uh, strat or scheme pool that lets you kind of lock down a center portion of the table and still score points. Um, and he basically tells whatever enemy model gets close to him, you can't do anything this turn. Um, on top of he can beat things in the face really easy. Um, but overall, there's not a lot of like order of activations, concerns. There's definitely, it's Malifaux, so that's always something you have to think about. But it's not any more complicated than any other master um, outside of very niche situations. Uh, he has stupid strong control. When you have an entire keyword of two inch engages and then can also give out distracted and slow um, on top of him having a lure, like you can just abuse the nonsense out of your opponent's crew. If they're not prepared for it, you can really shut down everything they're trying to do. Um, a stat seven lure is just incredible for that. Um, and he's stupid durable. If you try to hit him a lot of times and you have poison on you, he's often going to be defense seven and willpower nine. Um, on top of having a defensive trigger that he can uh, cheat for that pushes you away based on the value of your poison condition. And the keyword has strong healing, so whatever hits you do land on him. If you don't do substantial damage, he's just going to heal back to full. 
So you got a potent area control master and brewmaster. What do you do about just getting shot in the face over and over again? What do you do about 14-inch range guns? That's pretty much his primary weakness. Uh, basically, the only tech that... So his keyword actually has stealth. Uh, Moon Shinobi have stealth, which is actually pretty good if you're facing dedicated gun lines. I think if you're playing on the proper table with enough terrain, he's only size 2, so he can still hide. Um, and you do have a lot of armor 2 options in the keyword. So there are definitely it's not impossible but it is definitely one of the best counters to him because he doesn't have a lot of extended ways to hand out poison. And if he's not handing out poison, his survivability is basically zero because uh, he just becomes a def five willpower. Uh, well, the willpower seven is good, but he just becomes a def five dude with not a lot of defensive tech after that. Um, well, and I, I know we'll, we'll probably get into this more in like general counterplay, but I, I'm, I am curious since you're talking about, um, like things that get close. What about like, how well does he do with things like um, I'm thinking first Nexus where like when you get close and you get a parasite, like suddenly you just start taking incidental damage that you can't control. Like, is he vulnerable to those sorts of things or is he still fairly resilient? I feel like Nexus is definitely a counter. She gets around pretty much all of his defensive tech with the parasite tokens by just pinging him with irreducible damage and giving those tokens. There's no way he can remove them. He, is very static, so he can't really get away. Um, and his keyword's really squishy outside of the healing. So if you have a way to consistently negate their defensive tech, uh, one of the main things the henchmen have and the whiskey golem has is uh, uh, beer goggles. So if your opponent has poison, they suffer negatives to hit them unless they discard a card. That's massive for their survivability. So if you have ways to get around that, uh, or armor in the whiskey golem's case, or soul stones, uh, which Nexus does, then he's probably just not going to be able to play the game. So expanding out from just looking at Brewmaster, he's a good area control piece, uh, decent resilience as long as you can get poison on things. Uh, what does his crew bring to the table? Uh, how do they support this particular playstyle, or are these guys doing something else entirely while the Brewmaster is single-handedly sort of locking down a portion of the board? So uh, just to kind of give a breakdown of, of the rest of the keyword with Brewmaster 1, I think you have more limited options for what you can bring that really synergizes with his play style. Um, I think the Whiskey Golem and Fingers are kind of a must-have uh, in the keyword. A lot of people kind of sleep on Fingers, but he's one of he is the only source of card draw in keyword. Uh, with the, Sounds uncomfortable. Yeah, it's pretty awkward. The only other way is Bryn or a Bokor. So I think people don't bring him nearly enough um, and people crush. that that was a horrible joke I just want to point that out here he's just sleeping on fingers and that's uncomfortable like that was bad well here's a, here's <laughs> a pickpocket you were the only one who heard that joke <laughs> oh hey uh, folks a wild Herman appears <laughs> we'll Kill see it. for how long Kill <laughs> it. quick toss the pokeball at it <laughs> Oh god, I can't remember what they say when like they successfully dodge it, but dodged. All right, back to Brewmaster. Why? Why is Fingers awesome, and why should we take him? Uh, he's he basically assists Brewmaster in locking down certain portions of the table. He's also movement six with built-in squeal, so he's really hard to pin down. So if you need him to be a scheme runner, he can. Uh, he hands out extra slow uh, if you need to, and he can do some damage. Um, and he's got a built-in obey uh, with have a drink. 
So he can force opposing models to perform actions if they have enough poison, or you can have uh, non-brewmaster models take extra actions. It's actually kind of cute with a whiskey golem for a min three whiskey golem attack when you need it. So he's very flexible in a pinch. Uh, and like I said, the the extra he not only hands out poison to things, but he's got the only card drawing keyword. So that can get really stressful if you if you don't bring him around. You can really struggle to keep your hand up. Um, yeah, suited no TN small favor is real nice. Oh yeah, yeah, it's real good. Damn, um, I'm actually taking a look at it as one more question action, uh, which is just like the triggers with it as well, where you give a model slow, potentially do one, three, four damage to it with the uh, mental trauma trigger. And it's not built in, but he can stone for it where you're doing slow, making a target discarded card, or they take three damage plus another one, three, four, if it's engaged, that's actually really good. I, uh, I know Carmen and I both use uh, one more question within the uh, uh, lawyer people keyword. Um, Lucius. I remember. Elite. Yeah, there you go. And journalist. And and journalist. I, I can tell you from personal experience, it is absolutely brutal on um, Brewmaster's crew. And that's that's a really good point on two-inch reach and handing out slow. Like, that's that locks a model down. That is huge and fucking the worst feeling in the world to play against. Can, can I just ask a question about what exactly two-inch reach represents in Malifaux 3rd edition? He's got really long fingers. That's yeah, long he fingers. That's... He, <laughs> He's reaching out and touching Faith. There's a reason why his name is Fingers. Come on. (laughs) It is a good question, though, because I felt like in second edition, two inch was pretty much the norm for a lot of things. And then one inch was if you were, you know, you had like just a knife or something. And then three inch was if you had a spear or you were a giant monster or something. But in second edition, it's kind of a bit all over the map like why why does fingers have two inch why does brewmaster have two inch? i guess his staff i mean i guess it all comes down to balance it's balance. maybe it's not necessarily um a physical but like a threat range like he can he can reach out and touch you like really far away like i have a fluff reason for this the ability is called have a drink he has a one inch ga- uh, range with his arms and he's handing a drink to his opponent that also has a one inch range so it's two inches no, if you want the platonic ideal of of how uh, melee reach is messed up in third edition, Killjoy, massive cleaver, one inch range. Dashel's title with two smaller cleavers, two inch range. That's because he changed the anime style. It's not the size; it's the girth, man. <laughs> watch, watch the Phantom fucking menace. He's dual wielding. <laughs> He's got chains hooking his axes together. <laughs> There definitely are a lot of models who have one-inch ranges on enormous giant monsters who are like, wait, what? All right, sorry, we are going wildly far afield. Uh, this party is, is sloshing all over the place. So let's, uh, all right, we've got... Uh, to our listeners, maybe we may have drank some before the Brewmaster podcast. You never know. Um, I know, and that is accurate. <laughs> let's talk about... Let's talk about uh, Shoujo here. Oh, yeah, that was actually next on the list. I think she's a staple in every... Like, I think you're always going to bring her. Um, She has some really dumb abilities, and particularly with Brewmaster 1, being able to put both... Have the opportunity to put both um, 
boring conversation, uh, which is just extra card drain on your opponent on top of making them slow, on top of potentially giving them distracted, on top of denying the bonus actions. And then she's got a second bonus action where she can reduce her poison condition to reduce the card cheated by three. So when you wrap all that together in that bubble, basically your opponent's not going to really get to do anything. Um, you can make, you can really control how they uh, approach their turn with her. Uh, even if you put her out front, cause they're going to, if you pop her bonus that reduces uh, the value of cheated cards, she's basically going to be really hard to take care of on top of they're going to, anything else they attack is going to be essentially plus three defense, depending on how much poison she has. Um, so I th- Does she dictate your turn order by being someone who's up? For, yeah, by being someone who's up there in the middle and needing to activate all these abilities. She basically always goes first. Uh, but one thing you'll she doesn't. I don't know if she'll do it as much with Brewmaster two efficiently because or Brewmaster one efficiently because unless you're cheating or stoning for uh, pulses for uh, his bonus for his uh, bonus action and his melee attack to to. Uh, shoot shower of booze to pulse out poison to her um, or stacking her with have a drink AP and stuff. She's not going to have nearly as much poison to generate pass tokens to control activations. And let's not look over. She's a six cost uh, enforcer that has incorporeal and six life that is basically there to completely screw over your opponent with their actions and their abilities. That that's really good. Yeah. Trade secrets. Oh my God. Just casual pass tokens. Casual pass tokens. Even if you're only generating one to two a turn in Brewmaster 1, uh, like, guaranteeing last activation all the freaking time, or bonus initiative on the next turn if you don't need to control activation, uh, disgusting. Yeah, Disgusting. Yeah, but you're really going to have to choose with Brewmaster 1 what you're doing. I don't think she can both generate pass tokens and get use out of... Uh, her other bonus action, which I'm going to double check the name of real quick. Um, slurred speech. Slurred speech. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I don't think brewmaster one's going to give her nearly enough poison to use both. So I think when you first activate her, uh, you're probably generating pass tokens turn one and possibly turn two, and then really leveraging that bonus action late turn two or, or, or turn three onward. Um, so that's kind of the rule of thumb, I think with her. That makes sense. So is there anyone else in your core always take for Brewmaster 1? Um, uh, so basically the core Brewmaster 1, is I think it really is just Fingers, the Golem, and, Sh- and Shoujo. Um, everything outside of that just depends on what schemes you're playing and uh, what the strat is and what the matchup is. Uh, it gives you a lot of wiggle room, but I think those three models are basically always, you always take them. Okay. Well, cool. Do we want to do you want to loop back to Brewmaster two and find out about the core mop, the core crew, and then do some compare and contrast? Well, because I already know what some of the core crew uh, is for Brewmaster two. A um, couple of things here, like Moon Shinobi. I've seen that they've gotten a, a lot of a bad rap. Do you take them with Brewmaster two? No, with Brewmaster 1. If I need Stealth or a Flanking Schemer, uh, they're actually surprisingly good at that. Um, So I think that some tech pieces for him are like for Brewmaster 1. So a Tanuki is really good for additional condition removal. Uh, Just a really great support healing model. 
uh, moon shinobi are fantastic for running out on a flank and being hard to catch and hard to pin down. Um, they're super squishy, so you typically don't want to shoot them uh, shoot shoot them up the middle with brewmaster because they'll probably die. Um, yeah, you don't, you definitely want to, don't want to shoot them up the middle. <laughs> 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 Excuse me, sir. This is a family podcast. No, it's not. Oh, oh yeah. No, this is a tri chi podcast. My bad. My bad. Yep. Yep. Um, and then there's Whiskey Gammon, which kind of do the same thing as Moon Shinobi. I think they're better with Brewmaster too. I think I'd rather take a a Moon Shinobi with Brewmaster one, just because the style of play. Um, is that just poison stacking on the Whiskey Gammon is better than two? Pretty much, and they're faster. Um. Brewmaster 1 actually hires a lot of out of keyword. So uh, one of the things I had uh, I'd been really experimenting with them is like in ley lines, you, all, you pretty much always take an emissary because uh, it's so fast and it can just run around on the flanks. Um, it's also a min 3 beater that's durable, so it can really bully those flanks. Uh, Gracie is really good with Brewmaster 1 because he's stupid slow. Uh, so if there's severe terrain or, or, your, or it's like corner deployment, he's going to waste a lot of AP walking. And Gracie can really help him out with that. She's also armor too, so you can really flex into an arm skew build. Uh, Trixie gives you an additional stat 7 lore, which means that opponents really can't get away from him. Uh, and she gives you plus 1 to initiative flips, which compare, which is really nice in tandem with Shoujo. Uh, so those are, the, those are the three, I think, out of keyword hires that, that you're going to take the most. Um, and you're starting with the Emissary as opposed to picking up the Effigy with the upgrade? You can. Um, I think that the effigy with the upgrade is better in like a kin or, or in a crew that can really put a lot of early early turn pressure independently. Having a model like the emissary that can move so fast and put turn put pressure on an opponent early in the game uh, is pretty valuable. So waiting till later to summon in the, the emissary can be a little bit more detrimental to Brewmaster. I mean, that's something to kind of non sequitarian in general is how often are people really doing the effigy with the upgrade? It's like the effigies and the emissaries kind of do completely different roles, it feels like, almost across the entire game. And so it's either kind of like you're taking the effigy or you're taking the emissary. I, I see it quite a bit. Uh, I see it in corner in explorers, uh, early turn, uh, corner in explorers against crews that uh, you're not expecting like massive aggro from. Um, because you you can leverage the early turn movement and then go into late turn uh, protective tech or like uh, mid to late game protective tech. Uh, I've seen it with the mysterious using the the cheating aura early on and then uh, upgrading to the emissary uh, later on down the road. Because you can in Neverborn you can use Vasilisa to. Uh, card a puppet around, uh, put it into a convenient position, and then suddenly an emissary. I've seen Stuff it like that. Yeah, I've heard of it in explorers. I've never personally tried it in outcasts. Although it's funny, you asked about that, and I was thinking when he mentioned it, I was like, you know, I really should try that more often. Like, because you you can save, like it is, you save some points, like. But outcasts get so much utility from early turn uh, movement. Yeah, that's well, the main movement thing. and upgrades. Being yeah. able to hand out the upgrades early on. I think the uh, uh, hodgepodge is probably one of the more frequently, in my opinion, taken uh, full on emissaries. Yeah, 
What about the... Um... God, our tangents are just on point tonight. No, they totally are. Um, all right, so... I did apologize before I did that. No, <laughs> it's I, like, no it's I'm a good... Sorry. It's a, I'm sorry I'm going to punch you, but here. Yeah. No, I think it's a good it's all, question. It's all good. Because I think the Bayou community, from what I've read, I think they overvalue that upgrade on our FAG a little bit. I think the emissary is really, really, really good. So a lot of times it's just worth paying the extra four stones to get that extra couple turns of, of work out of him. Um, depending, a lot of times you're bringing him at ley lines too, and just being able to have him on turn two shoot from one objective to the other with basically no effort, or, or go deep, the option to go deep um, to an, a, an opposite side ley line marker um, is, is really good utility. Um, I think Ken is basically, Ken and possibly... Um, Trixie are probably the only two keywords where I would consistently bring one with an upgrade just because they can utilize that bonus action card flip aura the most. And here I thought you were a big fan of that uh, emissary coming up and getting immediately buried by 33. Well, that's because Lady J is mean to me and touched me in bad ways. So, I mean, 33 is, is great. I, I'm in favor of bury all of our problems. Uh, so, all right, cool. So do we want to, do you want to loop back? to brewmaster uh moonshiner i brew to electric boogaloo indeed uh and, and tell us about how how this new brew is different are you most like how excited are you for this new brew versus old brew uh and and yeah let's let's jump to it so brewmaster two um <laughs> You have, to op- you have to open two beers for Brewmaster 2. Um, so I'm going to do a hot take. Uh, Herman actually encouraged me to go ahead and say this. I think he's probably the best, or if not him and Summer, are competing for the best title releases in the Bayou releases so far. Um, he's really, really strong. Uh, he's really He's got a lot of depth. He rewards uh, creative play. He rewards very technical play. Um, he punishes opponents a lot in Gaming Ground Season 2. Uh, a lot of the strats and stuff, he can really abuse. The fact that he can push models during turn, mid-turn, early turn, late turn, whenever he activates, and end phase is going to make it almost impossible for your opponents to score certain schemes and strategies. Uh, he can really just dictate where your opponents are on the board. Uh, the best way I can summarize the difference between them is Brewmaster 1 knocks you off your feet. And then Brewmaster 2 makes everybody dance. So one's like your typical backwoods moonshine party, and the other one is more of like a, a club club night. So wait, so, so unpack that for me a little bit. How, how do, so I, I'm looking at the card for Moonshiner, and I see, all right, you've got these movement tricks, you've got the tipsy slide ability that lets you move people around when they would take poison damage. You said... He, he can just straight up deny a bunch of things. Uh, how, like, walk us through, like, how is he changing the game for, uh, for Trichy? So there's a lot going on with how he sets all of that up. Um, all of his abilities are within an 8-inch aura, similar to Brewmaster 1. So he's got a somewhat medium range for all of that. It's not completely within, so you have a little bit of flexibility with it. Um, but effectively what he does is he starts out the game giving all of his models poison with his shockwave action, uh, and his shockwave <laughs> action lets you drop a shockwave marker, Trichi models can choose to immediately fail the duel, 
The first time they fail it, they resolve the poison condition, which triggers um, Tipsy Slide. And then what Tipsy Slide does is you push a number of inches equal to the damage you would suffer from the poison condition. Um, and I can get into more of, of some of the synergies and stuff that you can to abuse that later. Uh, but just for an overview, what happens in the mid to late game, that's a willpower 14 shockwave. So it's a pretty good shockwave. Your opponent's not going to fail every single one you throw out, but it's high enough that he's either burning cards trying to prevent you from pushing him around on top of you having other ways to give him poison. So you kind of have that Wong one mentality of the more he's trying to prevent it, the closer you're getting to the time bomb actually going off. Um, and then once you get enough poison on an enemy model, uh, once you get three or four poison in tandem with somebody like Wesley or Popcorn who has an ability called alcohol poisoning, which causes enemy models with an eight to suffer plus one damage, that's an additional inch of movement on Tipsy Slide. So you can do, you can, I think in Jeff's and I's, Jeff's and I's last game, um, I got how much poison on Marcus? Nine? Nine or so? Oh, no. Too, That's too a much. lot. And That's a lot of I was pushing him with alcohol poisoning like four or five inches. Um, every time he'd, he'd resolve the poison condition, whether he'd fail a willpower duel or um, uh, in the end phase, which is, it, that's unresisted. You just you just take it. Um, I am, as a McMorning player, so angry at Brewmaster 2. So angry. That you don't have those toys? That I don't have a fraction of the the poison tech that that Brewmaster has. No, you have extra body parts. But I think the the kind of the aha moment here on where that becomes a power level is in the timing of the end phase. That push happens before strats and schemes are scored. So anything positioning based, you can deny. Yeah, so you get so ley lines potentially out. You're messing with potentially uh, outflank or uh, claim jump or moving people in for bait and switch or you know or some of the other schemes where you want to be close to people. Are you yeah. ultimately less likely to pick Brewmaster two into a faction that has uh, access to? Laugh it off. Probably. Uh, going into, say, Guild or Ten Thunders. Redline Sock. <laughs> uh, Redline Sock. Is it a sufficiently large part of your game plan to move your opponent that you would alter your selection based on their potential ability to counterattack? So I think that's also... So I'm going to keep saying this because this Brewmaster, he has a lot of options. I think if you can't move your opponent's models, that doesn't automatically lose you the game. Um, because he can also kill things uh, pretty quickly. So even if you're not pushing the models, you're making them take that poison damage twice in a turn. So you're making them take it when they fail the willpower duel and in the end phase. Um, stacked with alcohol poisoning, I mean, you're talking upwards of three to six damage consistently if they fail that willpower duel once. Um, on top of, you know, let's say you put sparks in the crew. Well, now they can't heal or remove the poison condition because of hostile work environment, which is an ability that probably shouldn't exist. So, and he can be, amen. He can be pretty insulated. So you just have like reliable damage output. And that's not even counting the fact that with barroom brawl, when you push your own models where they end a move within an inch of an enemy model, 
once per activation or end phase, they do an automatic point of ping damage. So in a typical end phase, you do whatever your poison damage is, plus alcohol poisoning, plus you can push one of your models with Barroom Brawl to do another point of ping damage. So that's minimum three damage now in the end phase alone. And then that's not counting if you have more than poison two. That's not counting if you use sparks to put scrap markers for hazards down or have a pork chop nearby for a hazard aura. Um, and you can just do a lot of incre incremental damage that gets around things like armor, incorporeal. So even if somebody has the guild super clutch, clutch upgrade like Bloodline Coat, I think that you can definitely still play a game where you have your minions on the flank running schemes, um, controlling some of those more mobile based strats. And then you can still kind of just murder your opponent's models. I think this gets into the overall theme of this book, where you have either interaction with markers or splash damage. That's what your masters are doing. You're either interacting with markers or you're doing splash damage. Yeah, I mean, Brewmaster 1 typically is doing a lot of focus damage to single targets um, and stacking poison on very specific targets. And Brewmaster 2 is definitely significantly better at spreading spreading, spreading it all around, uh, spreading both damage. And uh, I think in Jeff and I's game, another example, I turn three, I killed uh, Marcus. I killed basically everything and left everything else on half or less health. Um, it's, it's surprising how much poison Brewmaster 2 puts out versus Brewmaster 1 between... The shockwave that's the, the willpower fourteen is a really high uh, high target number when he's able to do it three times per turn and it's poison plus two on that he's putting up a hazardous aura that does poison plus one as well so whenever he's if he gets poison on you he's doing the incidental damage of or the incidental poison of when I get to move you when you take damage from poison you also get another point of poison because you're moving within the hazardous aura um, it. It's a bad time, and the poison stacks up very, very, very quickly uh, with this brewmaster, and it's better to uh, either stay out of uh, his little cluster or bring Archie, who is apparently too stupid to get poisoned because he's a numbskull. And the other problem, though, with something like Archie is brewmaster and moon shinobi have drunken kung fu, so they flip hard to wound around, and brewmaster can probably, I mean... I don't want to say probably, but there's still, he has so much tech going on that even what opponents can bring, he still has game into. So it's not like a complete shutdown. So even a model like Archie or in a, in a game against McMorning where, you know, you know, perverse metabolism basically shuts down all the damage I can do with poison. I'm actually incentivized not to push his mod. Like I didn't want to put poison on any of his stuff because I didn't want them to heal, uh, get free healing. Um, but I was still able to just punch all his hard to win models in the face. So, uh, cause of drunken Kung yeah. Fu. That is the other part that, that as a big boarding player vexes me so sorely, you not only have better poison tech, you also have the tech to take out the hard to wound. It's like, mm. yeah, that drunken Kung Fu, uh, my first game I ended, I did win, uh, win this one, but my first game was, uh, Ivan English, Ivan two versus brewmaster two. And let me tell you, Drunken Kung Fu is a pain in the butt when you're playing Ivan, because I'm like, I want to hand out Distracted all over the place. And Brewmaster's like, hey, thanks. Now I'm going to hit you at plus flips. You suck. Yeah, and even the models. That is actually a interest, sorry, that is an interesting mechanic uh, that this Brewmaster has, where 
with his drunken confusion, like he can give himself distracted in order to continue to get plus flips. Uh, like that's actually an interesting mechanic that I like. Is actually speaking of McMorning though, is McMorning a good counter? Because the wording of the um, the perverse metabolism ability that a lot of his keyword models have, which is that is not reduce the damage to zero, but just if you would suffer damage, you don't. Well, it's actually you heal from it. Uh, yeah, you want you also want get moved from it. The, the McMorning versus Brewmaster is a really interesting matchup. Uh, on one hand, you have a lot of um, beer goggles, which makes your guys uh, difficult to hit. Um, but if you take McMorning two into it, you can get two models with uh, built-in plus flip attacks using plastic surgery, which gets around beer goggles just fine. Um, and then you are missing out on a lot of the high-end damage from it, but uh, conversely, my poison tech doesn't really uh, hurt you that that much. And then it just comes down to a like brawl in the center. And the movement tech that, that uh, Brewmaster brings to the table becomes a really really powerful tool against the less mobile uh, Big Morning crew. Another thing is, from what I understand, McMorning doesn't have that much anti-armor. Uh, one of the things that Tri-G can do that I plan to talk about and uh, I might expand on later, you can put multiple Armor 2 models in this keyword very easily, and it synergizes very well with what the key, with what the crew wants to do. Uh, so you can have Whiskey Golem, Pork Chop, Gracie, Emissary, um, or you know Whiskey Golem, Pork Chop, uh, Whiskey Gammon, Cooper, uh, and have a bunch of models that, and then you take Sparks and you can give them Shielded. And so even with uh, even with all the the hard hitting, even with as hard as McMorning two can hit, um, you have some still have some solid defenses. So I think that matchup is actually pretty pretty interesting like like josh said there's a lot going on there uh i want to go ahead and point something out here too um this is this isn't a common ability that you see on masters but the running tab trigger that he has on another round not only are you doing that uh wide range of uh spreading out poison which your own guys benefit from the poison uh one of the enemies that fail it or friendly uh that they can uh get moved and take damage uh based on their poison but the running tab where you remove a ski marker not an enemy ski marker a ski marker uh touching the pulse that was generated by the shockwave gives you a soul stone uh to add to your crew so like just right off the bat on the first turn you can have an, uh, a random four soul stone well you know whatever we, we, one of your trash models is throw down a ski marker uh next to you and then when brewmaster is loading up poison he also gets a soul stone for doing it so like that's a uh, maybe something we should have caught in beta, maybe, and made it like friend or an enemy scheme marker. But don't, don't, act like, don't act like we screwed up. You need a six of rams in a crew with very little card draw, um, and if you stone for it, it's counterintuitive. So I don't think it's going to come up nearly as much as you think, unless you get lucky, uh, particularly in like a turn one scenario. For one AP, potentially a soul stone poison two on a wide variety of guys and a movement from it 
it's a very good ability. Sure. I, I think it's very, very good. I just think that if it was a keyword that had significantly more card cycling, I think it'd be more reliable. And currently it, it, it requires a, a little bit of luck uh, in the right timing to, to maximize it. Uh, it's still totally worth it because you can basically get the free ski marker removal for a, sto- for a soul stone that you get back. So we've touched a little bit, I think, on what I've heard on the key differences between these guys is Brew 1 is all about kind of bricking an area, or maybe not even bricking with his crew, but like getting the the opponent's crew tied up in a bubble of, of bad times. Um, whereas Brewmaster 2 does that also, but is more about moving people around, messing with people's positioning. Are there any, like, when you're faced with making the decision between 1 and 2, what is driving that? Or are you tending towards two more often than not? I think in this season, two is going to be played the majority of the time. Um, I don't think one is bad. Um, I think there are very specific, you know, uh, there are very specific pools where one's going to do better. So any pool that kind of is requiring you, so let's say it's like turf war with claim jump, vendetta, assassinate, um, so like a super lethal lethal and and you want to play brewmaster instead of kin in that for some reason um i think brewmaster 2 brewmaster 2 is going to struggle in a scheme pool like that because his crew is not nearly as durable um i don't think you should really play brewmaster 2 in turf war um i think he can do it but i think you have so many squishy models uh he doesn't and brewmaster himself is not as much of an anchor uh, as brewmaster 1 is uh, you're going to have things die and it's going to be really hard to keep your opponent from just denying you strat points or bullying you off the middle of the board. Uh, but I would play Brewmaster 2 in almost any other pool, uh, particularly high mobility ones like uh, 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 Ley Lines, um, Break the Line, and then just forgot the name of the other one, uh, Symbols of Authority. I think he's really going to excel at those ones. So you mentioned the card cycling, and uh, have you thought about bringing Big Brain Bren into this crew uh, for the the innate card draws, Arcane Reservoir, basically all the Gremlin bullcrap that they bring, and Big Brain Bren is just amazing at pretty much everything. So uh, have you thought about that? And intuition, all that good stuff. Sure. I think that people, I think Big Brain Bren is very, very good. Uh, I also think he's very expensive. Um out of keywords, what he's maybe ten or yeah, nine? I think, uh, he's nine. Nine. He's eight. Yeah, one. he's nine out of keyword. Um, so he's still he's very strong. Uh, but I think that you have. I think if I really needed card draw, I just take a Bokor for the extra healing too. Um, I don't necessarily think that Bryn. You know, other problem with Bryn is he's static. Uh, he needs a lot of help getting up field. Um, and that can be a little bit better with Brewmaster 1, but with Brewmaster 2, you have to really worry about getting him liquored up, basically. He doesn't hold his liquor very well like the rest of Tri-Chi. So uh, um, I, I, don't, I don't think that I would see him as much. I could definitely see him with Brewmaster 1, uh, but you, he's competing. Like At that point, you're taking away certain things for that tech. So I think you need to have a, a very specific purpose for him outside of just calculate and intuition. So what about, so we talked about the core crew for Brewmaster 
uh, OG Brewmaster, which was Gollum, Fingers, Shoujo, uh, and then Season to Taste. What about uh, what about Brewmaster Two, Moonshiner? What's your what is your core first picks? So that's a hard one. Um, he's got a lot. He does so much to fix a lot of what some of the keyword minions were missing. Um, uh, so for an example, I would probably never take Cooper, the enforcer with brewmaster one, uh, Cooper requires a lot of poison. Uh, she requires an, uh, uh, an eight just to do her summon, which is pretty much all she does. Her heal sucks. It requires you to remove a scrap marker. Uh, and you can only heal one model per scrap marker removed. And there's not a lot of scrap marker generation that you don't have to pay a lot for in the keyword. Uh, typically, if you're paying enough to get enough scrap markers to get value out of that, you're better off just using sparks and turning them into hazards. Um, but with Brewmaster 2, he gives her all the poison she needs. You take a little four stone Akamame, who's also a great schemer, um, to poop out a scrap marker. And then basically you're getting two free whiskey gammon every time you, you hire in with Brewmaster 2. He also fixes her speed issues uh, by pushing her around. Um, and at the end of the day, she's still got a stat six blowtorch. Uh, and burning on top of all the incremental poison damage you're doing is just really good additional uh, damage uh, to throw in there. She can give burning three to something pretty easily because uh, she's got the um, she's got the tome trigger built in that adds an additional burning uh, for every tome in the uh, final duel. Uh, so I think Cooper's definitely one that's really hard not to take. Um, I don't think you're always going to take her, but I think that just getting two free whiskey gammon and then a durable enforcer that can kind of sit midfield and, you know, still, still get pushed for ping damage and has a good stat six melee attack. I think that she's pretty, pretty valuable. Jeff actually finally sold me on her cause I was really down on her with brewmaster one. And then he convinced me to give her another shot. Um, I was just like, these arguments sound really familiar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, I actually put it on the table. Who would have thought? Are you going to be taking sparks a lot in Brew 2 to leverage that hazardous terrain bullshit that everyone loves? Depends on who you're playing. Um, if you have a certain title and you think they're going to be able to pick up your markers or ignore hazardous or be able to use those markers against you, uh, like, say, McMorning, I don't know if it's worth it. Um, although on the flip side with McMorning too, you turn them into hazards for him, which is somewhat amusing. Um, so I think that, I think he's more, if you're going to play a, so there's two styles for Brewmaster 2, basically there's the breakout style, uh, where you, your turn clumps up turn, your crew clumps up turn one to get a bunch of poison. And then you disperse rapidly to do schemes. And then you're very mobile bouncing around the entire table, using the entire table to your advantage, hugging terrain, playing keep away from your opponent's models and using brewmaster and like a whiskey golem or brewmaster and popcorn to lock down or kill key targets that might be able to catch you. Um, and then the other option is uh, the mosh pit option where you take, I think you take sparks a lot here, sparks and Akamame, possibly a, um, possibly a pork chop just to get extra scrap markers and that extra hazard aura up. Um, and you play kind of a similar game to brewmaster one, but instead of locking things down with control, and giving them conditions, you're locking things down in an area with hazardous uh, and hazardous one injured one terrain, um, utilizing hostile work environment and um, 
just really abusing all of your ping damage and two inch engages to, to, to just kill things really quickly. Um, one of the cute things with the hazardous is obviously with barroom brawl, you can do the poison damage to it, push it into a hazardous scrap marker, do another damage to it, then push a model to it and then do another point of damage through barroom brawl. Um, and so you can do a ludicrous amount of damage in the end phase with that. And I, I want to bring something up here. The whiskey golem, I mean, it, it was a, a, an okay beater before, but Brewmaster 2 turns this guy up to 11. It is like the center point of your whole crew, aside from Brewmaster itself. Like, Brewmaster goes and he gives him a hazardous aura, which combined with it's already a defense 6 model with 8 wounds and armor 2 with a demise ability that it blows up, does 2 damage, and 2 poison, uh, has a defensive trigger. Like, it, it was already a decent model. But now with that hazardous aura stuck on it, if you try to close in on melee on this thing, you automatically get poison because of the aura that's around him. So the beer goggles makes him to where he's like one of the most defensive models in the game where you have to get through defense six armor two on a negative flip, unless you discard a card that they can give you poison back for it uh, with sprung a leak. And he's able to hit you at a stat six with three, four, six damage track with a trigger for onslaught uh, if he has it or a built-in poison. Like, he just becomes so good under this Brewmaster. It's it's almost insane. Like, it is really, really good. You can also move it 15 inches before it activates. Um, so you take Sparks, he obeys it to walk five. Uh, popcorn or Brewmaster can stack it with poison and then push it. If you give it enough poison, can push it up to five. Um, you have to get a lot of poison on it, but it's totally doable with, uh, uh if you put the hazard on a, uh, gammon or something and move him around, then he's going to get it pretty quick. Uh, and then popcorn has blood poisoning, which is not enemy only and does five damage, which the whiskey golem reduces to zero, but the wording on tipsy slide, the push happens before reduction. So then you push him another five inches of popcorn. And then he gets to activate nimble walk. So now you're at 20 inches and then he can charge. So you're at 25 inches plus his one inch melee. So you have effectively a 26 inch turn one or turn two uh, threat projection with the whiskey golem with a built in smashed or onslaught on his min three attack. But so like, would you want to like, it's cool to have a crazy threat range, but like, wouldn't that put you way out of position unsupported from the rest of the crew? I would probably never do it as much as I would say, hey, this is how far he can move and watch my opponent try to figure out how to not randomly lose something to my min three beater. But it can be done. You're hoping for the psychological hit, even though you wouldn't typically do it. Well, even there, uh, some crews are like, if you were in a, uh, a scheme or a, a scheme pool that's mostly uh, running around and accomplishing uh, the schemes that you need to do, there is the whiskey golem is not easy to take down, not, especially not with this brewmaster. And uh, just jumping him up into the crew, if he sits there and ties up uh, the whole enemy crew for roughly like uh, one or two turns, and like and and the, I, I probably wouldn't do the full like all out charge range, but even 
if you put that hazardous aura around him and charge him into the uh, enemy crew, like there's not a whole lot like, okay, I'm going to take out your whiskey golem. Well, congratulations. You're probably going to rack up like five uh, poison on most of your models while doing it. And if you do manage to take it out, it's going to do two damage and another poison too to everything around it. Like it's really good. 33. Yeah, pretty much. Just bury him. Although he is size four. So yeah, like the 25 inch threat range doesn't, just mean needing your model into the opponent's crew turn turn one. Yep. It also means having him in the center of the board and then going and completely wrecking a flanker. And then at the end of the at the end of the round, depending on where Brewmaster is, he then gets to push back closer to the center when his poison picks. Yep. Yeah, you can yo-yo him pretty hard. Um, and that's not even considering like you could activate him early and then yo-yo him backwards or whatever. And every time he moves outside of his activation, each activation that forces him to move, he can do another point of ping damage. So you have that option as well. Uh, so he can really just be like pinballing around your opponent's crew if you need him to with all those pushes and free walks and stuff. And is that that's for both brewmasters or just for two? That is only for two. Okay, and that's because it's keying off of the tipsy the slide. poison, getting free. Yeah, the tipsy slide. Okay, mm-hmm. better than the electric slide. Um, yeah, is it the, though? The whiskey golem <laughs> in one is just kind of he's just a, a beater. Like uh, right. he's a hard to take down beater. But in two, he's like one of the focal points of your crew. Okay, so um, so in terms of like game, well, but it's only within eight though. So like you can't ping pong. Well, I guess that's 16 inches, so that's the never mind. That's a lot of the board. Um all right, so so for Brewmaster 2, we've talked about Brewmaster 1's game plan is basically like go somewhere that your opponent wants to be and make it a bad time. And Brewmaster 2 is like is what? You you so you can either like clump and then blow out to different places or also be in the the bubble of pain like you, it gives you the option pretty much uh he's so flexible with his speed like his crew is so wicked fast um uh pretty much every month like popcorn can move a stupid number of inches uh if he needs to um whiskey gammon can reliably move like 20 inches a turn for super super quick scheming you can get breakthrough and outflank almost immediately with stuff like that um so, or you can do like one of the big threats with a whiskey golem or any, any sort of model like that. That's a beater that he can push around is, uh, being able to rapid redeploy something and touch something that your opponent didn't think that you could get touch. So you can basically make it so that no section of the board is safe. Um, the big thing to keep in mind with that is he has no out for severe terrain. So you have to really plan ahead and you have to know what the board is and you have to know where the blocking terrain is. You have to know if your opponent has certain things that are preventing the pushes and you have to, it's not unlimited. Like it's not like he can just push through a forest. Like his movement gets drastically reduced as soon as you throw him in a puddle. Um, Cause we know drunks can't swim. So, <laughs> but yeah, he, uh, he, he's, he definitely has a lot of movement and there's definitely counterplay to it, but I think the biggest thing that defines him over Brewmaster 1 is, is flexibility. Cool. Well, do we want to take a quick break and maybe then loop back to like when you're picking Brewmaster just overall, like what sorts of missions? Yeah. 
All right, well, why don't we throw it a quick break? We'll be right back. Stick with us. Hello. Do you like our podcast and want to ensure that it continues to run? Maybe you want to hear our outtakes on unedited footage. Or perhaps you're just flush with cash and you like being generous. Either way, we've set up a Patreon just for you. If you like us, please consider donating. Our Patreon can be located in the show notes. If not, we're all pretty sure that it's Herman's fault. Either way, if you like our show, go ahead and leave us a comment. Thanks. All right, welcome back. And we're going to wrap up this podcast with a segment all about play and counterplay for the Trichy keyword. So talk to us, Curtis, about, okay, obviously you like Brewmaster. You've currently been on a Brewmaster kick. You've been enjoying playing, uh, especially Moonshine or Brewmaster. But like what, other than the whim of the day, let's say for like a tournament setting, what's going to call out to you and say, oh, this is, this is a mission where I really want to take Brewmaster? Um, and is it depend? Is it opponent faction dependent? Like, tell us what your thought process is there. Um, so I don't necessarily think there's a specific faction that he shouldn't play into. Um, I think that uh, depending on what master your opponent declares, you'll f- to will decide what your crew looks like. Um, I think that if I go to an event, I'm going to definitely look at what the pools are. Um, if available, see what the maps are. Obviously, if there's a map that's just going to be severe terrain all over the friggin' board, then probably not bring Brewmaster 2 or 1 <laughs> uh, because they're both going to get bogged down pretty quickly. Um, but I think as a standard rule of thumb, Brewmaster 1 can play Turf 4 and Ley Lines. Um, I think Brewmaster 1 excels at Turf 4 uh, between the two of them. He just has significantly more durability, so you can deny the strat a little bit better and prevent denial from it. Uh, he does well with the out of, out of keyword hires, uh, so he can be a little bit more flexible with counterpicking for an opponent's crew. Um, and he really liked that, especially in a scheme pool where there's a lot of schemes that allow him to just kind of sit in one spot and still score points. Um, Brewmaster 2, though, uh, basically any pool that's got a lot of mobility where he can move around the board, not necessarily have to commit to an engagement, uh, especially into like a high lethality crew or a crew that has a lot of guns, any scheme pool that lets them kind of dance around the table, uh, hide behind terrain, hide behind more durable models. Um, so I, I think that basically ley line, symbol, and break, break the line are the way to go. Uh, ley line, I would probably hire popcorn, never give the lodestone to brewmaster because then you can't butterfly jump. Um, that would just be bad for everybody involved. Um, but popcorn can make a really, really great, probably almost as good, if not better than the emissary, uh, lodestone bearer. Um, you have really good denial in ley lines because you have that in phase push. Uh, you also have brewmaster when he hits something with his staff can push it. So you have so many different ways to pick that lodestone bearer off the, um, ley line marker when you need to. Um, I still would probably give it to popcorn just because I really don't want to have to lock brewmaster down to marker duty. Um, I like him being a little bit more flexible. Um, and and then if he's sitting on the marker, you can't like butterfly jump off of it or butterfly jump out of position such that your end of turn push will get you into the marker. Yeah. So and, it cuts into his, his mobility a little bit. Yeah, and also it can block his line of sight for his auras. 
Um, so you probably don't want to be base to base with it because your opponent can probably abuse that a little bit, um, depending on uh, depending on what what they've bought and and what their plan is. Um, I think that uh, for symbols of authority, you kind of play the really fast games. You bring you probably hiring Gammon here. I don't you don't summon them with Cooper because then they can't pick up the symbols with the strats. Um, so I'd either hire in Gammon or Moon Shinobi to be your symbols hunters and then do that clumping up turn one and then spreading out turn two. A lot of opponents like to put the symbols out on the flanks and Moon Shinobi are really good at kind of getting to them even when your opponent doesn't want them to, especially when Brewmaster's dancing around killing things. Um, and then for Break the Line, uh, you've got two options to play. So you, you can either spread the markers really wide and force your opponent to play wide to score on the strat. Um, or you can wait for your opponent to put a marker down and you can place both your markers near that one. Um, so you can play that hazard game where you have that certain point on the table and you can, um, you can create like a little minefield with sparks and really bully that portion of the board and just kind of ignore the top marker, assuming that you can bully your opponent off of, um, as far as schemes, I think brewery two has a nice wide variety of schemes so he can pretty much he can do breakthrough fairly easily because he's so fast uh, and he can kind of clear out models that would normally be or take out models that would be threatening you denial for that um, I think he's one of the few masters that can actually do outflank um, and not telegraph it as much um, because he's got that end of phase push uh, so you can actually kind of get creative with that as well with all the out of activation movement um, I like research mission because you can generate those scrap markers for it. Um, and with the, you know, with ley lines or with any, any of the ones with the strap markers, you can, uh, you can score that fairly easily. Um, he's one of the few models that I think can actually play bait and switch. I don't really care for that scheme, but the end of, um, the end of phase movement can really, uh, really mess with your opponent and keep them from preventing that as well. Um, and then I like him with Hidden Martyrs, but I like Brew One with Hidden Martyrs as well because you have a four-stone Akamame who's only got four health. He's hard not to kill. Um, I basically always, if there's Hidden Martyrs, I, I can basically always hire an Akamame for it um, because it's it's almost impossible for your opponent not to kill the Akamame. That's how easy they, they die. Yeah, so the Akamame is one of those models that's obnoxious. Uh, you kids got a two inch engage. You can give slow uh, with its tongue. It's only stat four though, but it can always gain a flicker token for a positive. So you can kind of force your opponent to deal with it. And it's fantastic for hidden martyrs. Uh, you can take it with uh, uh, Cooper in that uh, because Cooper's pretty durable and can hang back. Um, or you can take it with fingers if you want something a little bit more obnoxious to kill. Um, and it's, it's basically guaranteed points on that as long as you can uh, kind of force your opponent to, to, to kill it. I think if you play somebody enough times, they're going to be able to see it. They're going to look at your Akamami and see hidden martyrs and be like, Oh, well I know exactly what he took. But at that point you can, um, you can always try something else. Um, yeah. I mean, I guess, do you ever take an Akaname for not hidden martyrs? But yeah, so to get the Cooper engine going. Yeah. It's, it's actually pretty, Cooper's really, really good with Brewmaster too. I can't, can't really stress that enough. 
but when you you can just get a lot of points. I mean, she's even good if you want to get, take claim jump with them. I don't think I typically would do claim jump with Brewmaster too, unless I'm very confident I can bully bully the center of the board with them. But uh, she's actually a really good claim jump target because she can get shielded. Well, hang, hang on, I want to I want to pick on that a little bit. So claim jump with Brewmaster two should be fucking amazing because at the end of the turn you get to push all your opponent's models and all your models within eight inches. So long as his butt's parked, you know, six inches away from the center, he should control like that whole set. Yeah, as long as you can actually push your opponent's models. Don't worry about Leadline Sock. It doesn't exist. Well, I mean, you also got to think like make morning matchup or let's say you're playing against Lady J2 and you get close to her and she just buries you and turns your entire crew off. Like you typically probably want to run away. But assuming you're not going up against Guild or McMorning. Uh, you could just remove the poison from your own model so that you can't move it at the end of the turn. Well, unless there's the model that prevents you from doing that. I think it's I think it's one of the I think he has more reliability with the more mob- mobility based schemes uh, than he does with claim jump. I think Brewmaster one is also way better in a if he sees claim jump uh, in the pool. Brewmaster two can definitely play it, and like you said, he's he's got good tech to kind of guarantee it, but it's very matchup dependent. But yeah, so I think that overall um, it's going to be really difficult to not play Brewmaster 2 for me personally. He's so much fun. Uh, you kind of have a lot of order operations and different things you can uh, different things you can do. You have a lot of choices to make each game. I don't really recommend them for anybody learning Malifaux. Um, I think Brewmaster 1 is probably better if you want to learn with Trichi uh, just because he's so much more straightforward. And uh, as far as he compares to the rest of the uh, Bayou Masters currently, uh, I think he's definitely one of the top ones. Uh, And I think it's going to be really hard to not reach for him uh, a lot of the time. All right. Well, Curtis, as you said, that's what makes the Brewmaster awesome. So you heard it here. Um, Let us know in the Facebook post about this uh, or you know, in any of the methods that you can comment on this, that uh, that you liked it, what you want to hear next, uh, what your thoughts are about the Brewmaster. And we look forward to seeing you again soon on the next episode of the Capital City Crew Podcast. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Capital City Crew Podcast. We hope you tune in next time.